Yes. So uh, this is Stephanie Domingo, and she is the Chicago director for the Factory Farming Awareness Coalition. A uh, little bit of a background. Stephanie graduated from the University of Iowa with a BA in philosophy and a minor in gender, women's, and sexuality studies. She is passionate about critical thought and social justice. After graduating, Stephanie underwent an Army Corps position as a Refugee RISE member, working with people settling in the U.S. as refugees in eastern Iowa and assisted them in getting acclimated. Stephanie has years of experience working with various advocacy organizations and has spent time living abroad in Australia and India. And Stephanie is currently thinking about working on the uh, intersections of human and non-human animal oppression, particularly as it relates to food justice. So round of applause, welcome. Can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? Okay, great. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. Um, hello everyone, how are we doing? Doing well? Are we awake at this hour of the day? No, kind of. Okay. Well, hopefully this presentation will be interesting and will keep you on your toes. Um, so as your professor said, my name is Stephanie Domingo. I work for this nonprofit organization, Factory Farming Awareness Coalition. It's a bit of a mouthful, but FFAC for short. Essentially what we do is talk to students like yourselves um, and, and also other community groups about our food system in the U.S. and the impacts of our food choices and you know, why, why we should care why these things matter. So let's get started. Okay, so this is what we'll be talking about today. Here's a, a brief overview. So we'll talk about this term factory farming that I use. Um, then we'll, we'll, go, we'll briefly touch on what it is in, in some of the industries. Then we'll really dive into the environmental impacts because that will be the focus of our presentation today. Um, and then we'll end on a positive note, we'll end with solutions. So I always like to give two disclaimers before I start presentations. So one is that some of the information might be a little bit surprising at times. Um, and I think that this, these, the, the facts in the presentation and, and some of the concepts aren't really generally known by the general public, I would say. Um, Folks your age, um, especially in like a you know community college setting, are, you probably know some of this information already, especially if you know if you're in the environmental science class or a related course. But I would say, um, for instance, a lot of the adults in my life um, don't don't really know about any of this, right? Um, in, until say you know say they ask me about it or something. Um, so just keep in mind some of the information might be a little bit new, um, maybe less so to to you all as an audience. Um, second disclaimer is that some of the information might be a little bit disturbing at times. We're not really going to go into the animal welfare part of it as much. We'll just very briefly touch on it so you have an idea of what we're talking about when, when we say factory farming. But um, some of the facts, right, are going to be negative in nature. So just hang tight with me. We'll have these little interludes. We'll have breaks, time for questions, and we'll also end on a positive note. So we'll end on solutions, things that me and you can do um, in our everyday life to mitigate these issues. Okay, so let's get started. So whether we realize it or not, right, we're constantly being marketed to. Uh, nowadays, it might look different with, say, YouTube or Facebook or other sorts of platforms. Even when we go into the grocery store, we're being marketed to, and we might not really think about it as marketing. 
So when we go into grocery stores, if we ever see pictures of farms or, or animals, farmed animals, they always, um, they're always outside, right? So again, you always see the sun, the green rolling hills, the animals are super clean, uh, they have a lot of space. And this is pretty misleading advertisement. So this is not mirror the reality of what farms actually look like today. So these are the pictures that really should be on, you know, the cartons and the labels instead, because these are what our typical farms look like today. So when I use the term factory farming, we're really, uh, we're really talking about concentrated animal feeding operations, the technical term, CAFOs, if you've heard of that, that acronym before. So top left, we have a typical egg farm, top right, dairy farm, bottom left, pig farm, bottom right, chickens who are raised for meat. Um, and so factory farming basically is the practice of confining thousands or tens of thousands, if the facility's big enough, hundreds of thousands of animals in one indoor space. Keep in mind that some pretty big corporations are behind these farms. They're the ones at the top running these farms, controlling everything, making those big decisions. And what's a corporation's bottom line? Profit, right? And they're gonna want profit in the most efficient way as possible. So keep this in mind also as we go through some of the aspects of the presentation. Okay, so just note within the last 50 to 100 years or so, factory farming really started and proliferated due to various factors, technology, feeding supplements, antibiotics, which we'll talk about later in the presentation. And this brings us to today. So I will be talking at you, lecturing for, for a decent amount of the presentation, but I'll also be asking you questions and trying to get you to engage as well, so I'm not just talking at you the whole time. Um, so, so does anyone want to guess how many animals you think are bred, raised, and killed every single year, just in our country alone, for meat, dairy, and eggs? I see a hand in the back. Thank you. Okay, great guess. And um, it's actually a lot higher. What I hear? Billions. Okay, now we're talking. Yes, billions. Billions, believe it or not. So we're talking nine billion. This number does not include fish. Fish are, of course, animals, and we will talk about fish, but they're a little bit harder to um, number, and, and we'll talk about why that's, you'll, you'll see why that's the case. So, okay, when I hear this number, my brain is sort of like, uh, nine billion is some big number up in the sky. I, it's hard for me to ground it. So let's try, let's try to do so. How many humans are there on Earth today? Yeah, okay, upper seven billions, right? We're nearing eight billion. So essentially what this means is that we use more farmed animals for food every single year in our country alone in the United States than we currently have humans on the entire surface of the planet and all the countries combined. Okay, so keep this in mind. So of those nine billion, what percentage of those animals do you think are raised on the farms we're talking about today? Good guess, a little bit higher. Okay, there you go, spot on. So the answer is 99%. What does this mean? Okay, essentially what it means is that pretty much any of the meat, dairy, eggs that you see in the grocery store, that you see in a restaurant, we can almost guarantee it's coming from one of these farms, right? Hello, welcome. Um, so, so, so basically, 
just know that this is not some small subsect of our food system. This is the majority of our food system, right? This is the common every day. Okay, so what are we talking about? Um, I think it's important first to just start with um, a, a quote from the industry themselves. So the industry states of, of a mother pig, oops, sorry about this, skipped ahead a few. There we go, let's go back. Okay, so they state, um, the National Hog Farmer magazine, quote, the breeding sow, a mother pig, should be thought of and treated as a valuable piece of machinery whose function is to pump out baby pigs like a sausage machine, end quote. Okay, so just keep in mind that the animals in our food system are not seen as you know, sentient animals who can feel pain or experience joy or can suffer, right? They're seen as units of production. So especially in the system of, of mass production, right, and, and, and corporations trying to make profit and do it in the quickest way as possible, we see um, that the animals are seen as, as, as part of, just, just part of this process. Okay, so very briefly, we're gonna go through what I'm talking about by this term factory farming, right, this industrial animal agriculture, and then we'll dive into to, to some of the more um, details of the impacts. Okay, so one of the hallmarks of factory farming really is intensive confinement. And uh, mother, mother pigs, this is typical standard practice, right? Everything I'm showing you is gonna be standard everyday practice. We're not even talking about other forms of abuse. Um, we're not even gonna touch, touch that subject, um, even though it happens very often every day on, on farms. Um, but we're just talking about the everyday. So mother pigs will be kept in these crates, either gestation crates or farrowing crates, depending on if they're pregnant or giving birth to piglets. So I don't know if you can see in the picture on the right and left hand side, there's piglets there. Um, and they're kept in here for their entire lives, right? So they're constantly, um, like the, the quote said, right, pumping out piglets um, for the industry. Okay, um, very basic but important question I like to start with when we talk about dairy, because this is part of a dairy farm. First of all, why do cows produce milk in the first place? Sorry? Okay, great, for their babies. Okay, wonderful. So I always ask this question because I think, um, and I know I used to think this when I was, I would probably even say in high school, I probably thought this to be honest with you, um, that cows just produce milk magically or randomly. Because I think this is the narrative that we're told growing up, right? Or this is the picture that we're sort of sold. Um, but of course this isn't true. So cows are mammals just like us, right? We're mammals. So women will only produce milk once they're pregnant. And, and then after they give birth. So in order to get large amounts of milk from cows, we first inseminate them, we impregnate them, they give birth to, to calves, um, their calf is taken away. Why would they take away their calf? Yeah, great, thank you. So, so the milk can be sold for human consumption, right? So the female calves will go into hutches like this. So th these are all female calves, and if you can see on the bottom here, right, these, um, it's a little bit of a gated, fenced-in area, and, and there's one calf per one of these hutches. And they'll be kept here. They can't really walk around or do much of anything until they're old enough to replace their mothers on the dairy line. Okay, so this is a typical egg farm. So about 90% of all the chickens that, uh, or all, excuse me, all the eggs that we see in the grocery store are coming from chickens in cages. So this is called a battery cage. Um, hens are kept maybe five, 10 to a cage. As you can see, they really can't do much of anything, right? They can't really spread their wings or walk around. And they're confined here for 
their entire lives, which usually only lasts about a year or two in the industry, because then their bodies are spent, they sort of give out, and they're sent to the slaughterhouse after that. Okay, um, so the last animal we'll touch on, um, and then we'll be done with this section, just so you have an idea, is um, our turkeys. So turkeys are kept in similar conditions to chickens raised for meat. So these animals, keep in mind they're in these industrial sheds, right, like the other animals we saw. They're not usually caged, but they're still very confined. They're also very often, almost always, standing in their own feces, in urine. These are filthy conditions, right? So they get certain things like ammonia burns from the, tox um, from the toxins and, and, and that sort of thing. Okay, so we have a, a brief picture of what we're talking about. And I do want to go over a few terms just so we're on the same page here. So has anyone heard of the term cage-free before? Some of us. Okay. So it's good to know, like I said in, in the beginning, how we're, mes we're misled by certain images that are, that are trying to be sold to us. Um, we're also very misled by this term. So when I think cage-free, I don't typically think this picture. But this is a typical cage-free facility. So they're not lying to us, right? The animals are, are not in cages. But they're still pretty confined. Um, they're still in these industrial sheds. They're still indoors. They go through this process called debeaking, right? That's standard, where the sharp parts of their beaks are cut off without any pain relief in order to avoid them fighting and attacking each other in these stressful situations. They're also still standing in their own feces and urine. OK, um, how about free range? Has anyone heard of this term before? Some of us. Okay. Again, another misleading term, just keep this in mind. Um, just because we see free range doesn't mean we're not talking about these industrial farms. So technically, what this denotes is that the animals have to have access to the outdoors. But the problem comes in with how this term is interpreted and, and then regulated and enforced. So this image you see on the right is sort of a typical factory farm, industrial farm from the outside. These long, narrow, white industrial sheds. And so you could have maybe 30,000 plus birds in one of those sheds. And maybe at the end of the shed, that has a little door. And that door technically counts as access to the outdoors. Whether or not the animals actually set foot out that door, whether or not they only have an hour, say, outside, or maybe they only have a small dirt patch to stand on. Right? None of that really matters for um, the, 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 this term, free range. Okay, the last term I'll go over is organic. Probably most of us have heard organic. Okay, so again, um, don't be misled um, just because we see organic. Uh, the, the same sort of meaningless standards of, of free range apply with outdoor access. Uh, Debeaking is still allowed and still happens, right? These animals can still be standing in their own feces and urine in these sheds, etc. One thing I do want to point out is that these animals with organic are not given hormones, antibiotics, or pesticide-laden GMO crops, which we'll talk about. So um, this, this, this could be better for consumer health, right? Um, but doesn't necessarily mean it's better for the, for the animal's welfare all the time. Um, and we could talk more about that later. Okay, so my executive director puts these cuteness interludes in just to give us a second to like take a step back and from all the dreariness. Um, so we'll have a few of these throughout the presentation. All right, so fish are usually a very overlooked animal in this industry, um, in our food industry. So we are not going to overlook them. We're going to talk about fish. So globally, about 90% of all fish stocks are either fully fished or overfished. What does this mean? Essentially, we are catching fish at such a rapid rate that they are not repopulating themselves to compensate for that rate. 
So because of this and because of also um, our use of, say, single-use plastics, right? They're like everywhere in our society. It's, it's hard for us to avoid them. Um, scientists are predicting by 2050, we could very well have more plastic than fish in the ocean. So this is why we, we include this picture here in this slide. Okay, so can you still hear me over this video? Oh, a little bit. I'll let it play for a second and then I'll speak. idea. So essentially what you're looking at is, a, is called a super trawler. It's basically a large ship with maybe a mile long, if not longer, nets. And the net is catching everything in its wake. So we'll just go back to that video. You can probably, um, probably see, right? So it's reeling in. Everything that it's reeling in are, are creatures, are sea creatures. So maybe a thousand of these could go out a day, depending on the area. And what if we're putting these big nets into the ocean, right? We're going to catch animals that we didn't necessarily mean to catch. And this phenomenon is called bycatch. So bycatch could be anything like sea turtles, dolphins, whales, sharks, right? And, and essentially, these animals are caught and killed in the nets because they're, they're very confined. They're out of the water. Um, and then they just get discarded or thrown back into the water, either already dead or dying. So um, shrimp in particular is very devastating in this regard. So for every one pound of shrimp that we catch, five pounds of bycatch are caught, right? So these animals are just killed and, and discarded. Okay, so, so um, we're gonna talk about aquaculture and what we mean by this term here is we're referring to fish factory farming essentially in, in our presentation. So what you have are these large pens um, in, in larger bodies of water, like, like oceans, right? And, or, and the pens will be netted off. You might have thousands to tens of thousands, maybe even more uh, fish in, in one of these pens. And they're pretty concentrated, you know, they're pretty concentrated amount of fish. So the fish are pooping. So this is a concentrated amount of manure that's then being washed into the local uh, water system. The, the fish are also given a lot of antibiotics, which is again being washed into the local water system. Um, and so there's not, there's not like a filtration, right? Um, it, it just gets washed into the, the larger ecosystem here. And this sort of fishing now accounts for about half of the world's fish supply. So we're more rapidly turning to, to this sort of farming for even fish now. Okay, so one other um, aspect that we think is important to touch on is the, is the worker part of it. So most of our seafood that we consume in the U.S., specifically shrimp, about 90% is sold, that's sold in the U.S. is coming from outside of the U.S., from, from Southeast, a Southeast Asian countries. So um, we see that uh, it's been documented by Human Rights Watch, if you know of that organization, that um, these conditions that the workers have to endure are pretty exploitative. So when the workers um, start their job or get to, you know, get to the certain country um, or place that they're working, a lot of times their passports and visas are taken away to try to get them to stay and not leave. Um, they're threatened with physical and emotional abuse if they do try to leave or speak out. The worst forms of, of labor we see are child labor being used. So children are forced to peel shrimp all day long. Uh, people have even been documented actually 
like being chained to, to certain parts of the deck um, while they do their work and until they finish. And, and, and many people, and, and not just in this industry, but workers um, in certain programs will work without, without pay. Um, so they're supposed to be getting paid, right? And there's sort of promise of pay, but sometimes they're working without knowing when that pay will actually come. Okay. So um, I know some heavy information. I appreciate your willingness to sit with me and learn about it. Um, let's just take a second here, and then we'll really um, dive into the rest of the presentation. So this, this food, our food industry is pretty destructive for our planet. And I know I was super surprised to learn this because a lot of times when we think farms or our food, we don't think environmental damage. So what are some of the things that come to mind when I say environmental damage? What comes into your head? Yeah. Deforestation. Deforestation. Okay, thank you. And caused by what? Okay, okay, for this industry. Perfect. Yeah, great. Okay. Yes, and, and maybe it wasn't clear. So aside from this industry, do we hear a lot? Do, do, do you all know? I guess it's good to start. Um, do you all know a lot about the environmental impacts of our food industry? I see some heads nodding, some not. So for those who don't, where do we typically hear, and wh why do we typically hear, say, trees are being cut down? Or where does this pollution come from? What's the, what are we typically told in society? Paper for trees. Mm -hmm. OK, thank you. I hear that one all the time, yeah. OK, yeah, overpopulation. Does anyone think, yeah? Yes. Yeah, great. Wood, wood, thank you. Yes, that's a big one. And I also usually hear, we usually picture like smokestacks, right, coming from factories that aren't farms, but are other sorts of factories. A lot of times I also hear pollution um, uh, is, is attributed to cars or other forms of transportation, right? That, and that's also what I thought growing up. So those are important to keep in mind, everything we touched on, right? And that's a part of the issue. But we don't often hear about our food system and its impacts. So I'll walk you through why this is, this is damaging for our environment. So remember how many animals we, we breed and raise and kill for food in the US alone, nine billion. So if we're talking worldwide, we're talking billions and billions of animals. And if we're including fish in the equation, which we should, we're talking trillion, trillions, right? So, so these animals are living, breathing, eating, pooping, and you'll see why this, you know, this all matters to emphasize. So for starters, they're mostly eating corn and soy, okay, these farmed animals. And just to begin, animals in themselves are a fairly inefficient foods, food, food product system, right? So if we see the yellow bar here on the left, for every 100 calories of corn or soy that we feed to one of these farmed animals, we only get a certain amount and a lesser amount out for our consumption, for human consumption. So we put 100 calories into the equation, so to speak, and we only get 40 calories of milk out or 12 calories of chicken or three calories of beef. So I get a lot of questions, especially when I go to high schools, about why this is the case. And this helped me to understand it too. So just keep in mind, if we're keeping any animal alive, say for six months, right, the average time we keep a, a pig alive who's, who's raised for meat, um, we have to feed that animal every day, right? You have, to, you have to give them water, you have to care for them, right, keep that, to keep them alive. Um, and so the food that goes in 
to the animal every single day for say six months is going to be a lot more food compared to the say the meat you get from that, that animal's flesh at, at the end at the end right so this is the, the same sort of concept here is applied um, across the board to other animals and so IOP science um, in particular had a study that found that if everyone ate half as much meat as we do today which I know can sound like a big change but bear with me um, we could feed everyone on Earth today plus an extra 2 billion people. So their line of thinking was that we would skip the animal half the amount of time and eat foods that just directly right, grew from plants, like fruits, vegetables, legumes, things like that. And if we did that, we wouldn't have to constantly feed these billions of animals and then feed them, feed them, feed them, keep them alive, and then use them for food and then feed us. Right? It would be a more efficient way of feeding the population. And so we think this is particularly important today because our human population keeps growing, right? So you all told me there we have almost 8 billion humans on the planet. And are we projected to keep rising or declining at this right now? Still rising. Still rising, yes, yeah. So we're projected to hit maybe 9, 10 billion humans just in the next couple decades, right? So we need to be thinking about how are we going to use our resources efficiently, how are we going to feed ourselves efficiently, right, and not use all our land, water, food, food up. Okay, um, so someone did mention deforestation. We are going to talk about it. So trees are being cut down for this industry. Why? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, for the food. How about, how about why for the food industry in particular? Yeah, great. We need space, right, for the animals. Um, and also, someone said, I think, for the crops back there. So um, if, we're, if we're familiar with the Amazon rainforest in Brazil, uh, one of the leading causes of it being cut down today is linked to, to our meat production. So we need the space for things like cattle ranching, beef cattle that aren't necessarily in factory farms for their entire lives, that actually have room to roam. And we also need space for the crops to feed the animals, for all that corn and the soy and the wheat and things that we're feeding to the animals themselves. Okay, so I think this slide is, is super interesting because it really puts into perspective the bigger picture here. So about 60%, the majority of mammals on Earth today are farmed animals. This did not used to be the case, right? Their numbers used to be a lot lower, but their numbers keep rising, 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 and this has been a trend for the last 50 or so years, probably longer. Um, and so humans, right, we also keep rising, our numbers, and as we see our numbers rise, especially these farmed animals, we see wild mammals' numbers decline. So our whole ecosystem is changing in order to make more room to accommodate these farmed animals. And let's just stop here and, and just ask the question. So why do we have so many farmed animals to begin with? You said demand is high? Yeah, great. Okay, great. Demand is high. Um, and so that sort of alludes to um, something that isn't really talked about, but the fact that we humans are breeding these animals, right? Do you, you know what I mean by breeding the animals? So, so we, um, we are very often inseminating them with semen, right, the, the females, and, and help, you know, really aiding in this process, or I don't know if you want to call it aiding, but really contributing in this process of them reproducing, right? And so um, for turkeys, say f this is the case, uh, for pigs, this is the case, for dairy cows, this is the case. Sometimes the animals are breeding on their own, 
Um, but we still have a direct hand in that, right? We're still controlling um, what that looks like and who breeds. So we're breeding these animals, like you said, because we like our meat, dairy, and eggs, right? Especially in places like the US, where most people eat meat, dairy, and eggs with every meal. So their numbers keep rising, and then when, we, when their numbers rise, right, we cut down more trees to make space for them and the food, which then destroys these, these wild mammals' habitats. We're polluting water, which we'll talk about, which affects these, these animals' abilities to live and ours as well. And so I always think that's just a, an important um, slide to, to touch on for the larger picture there. Okay, one more term. Has anyone heard of the term uh, grass-fed, grass-fed beef before? Some of us. Okay, so this is typically touted as an environmentally friendly alternative to, say, conventional factory farm beef. Um, but we think it's important to, to look at some of the research. So there was one study uh, in particular that came out pretty recently in 2017 called Grazed and Confused um, at Oxford University. And so researchers there found, and I won't read you the whole quote, but just this bottom portion. So they found ultimately if high consuming individuals in countries like the US want to do something positive for the climate, maintaining their current consumption levels, but sw simply switching to grass fed beef is not a solution, eating less meats, meat of all types is. So essentially what they were saying is that it doesn't so much matter for climate change um, if we just simply stop eating factory farm meat and eat from, say, um, other sources like grass-fed, right, or the animals are outside or have more space. Um, because what really matters is bringing down these animals' numbers, right? So if we have the same amount of animals, first of all, we're not going to have the land, the space, to give them all this much space, right? We're going to just have to cut down way more trees. Um, but um, we need to right, bring down the number of animals we have in order to save our resources, to not have such a strain on our earth. So this is why they say eating less meats of all types is, is really the better solution. Okay, so the animals are mostly eating uh, corn and soy coming from GMO seeds, so genetically modified organisms. These GMO seeds are adapted to be resistant to pesticides. And what are pesticides? Yeah, could you, could you say more? <laughs> oh, thank you. So there are these harsh chemicals, right, that are supposed to keep pests off, like insecticides or herbicides. And why should we care about pesticides? Yeah? They could cause illness. Yeah, so these are toxic, right, toxic to us. Um, so there have been various studies showing toxicity in workers and the families who live near these farms or who are closest to these chemicals. Also, these are toxic, right, if, we, if they're in our food to, to our own health and our own bodies. And so if this is the system of how we're feeding these animals with these, these GMO seeds and the pesticides, um, we, could, we could start to see um, there be an even larger problem. So just to be clear, we're not saying GMO technology is bad or anything like that. But we are trying to point out that most of GMO technology is actually being used to feed farmed animals, not to feed humans, like most people um, might think, at least in our country. Okay, so in addition to the pesticides and, and um, uh, the GMOs that are used to feed these animals, these animals are also given a lot of antibiotics. Why? Yes, great, thank you. To keep them from dying, quite literally, in these, in these filthy environments, right? And also keep them from getting sick. 
So if one animal gets sick, remember how confined they are. The next animal is probably going to get sick, and the next animal, and the next animal, right? So they're given antibiotics as, as sort of a preemptive measure. So when, why should we be concerned about giving these animals antibiotics before, say, they're sick or have an infection that can be treated with antibiotics? Wonderful, yes, they become resistant to it. And we are, and we are seeing this. So we heard of antibiotic-resistant uh, bacteria. Okay, so this is what we're talking about here. So when we give the animal antibiotics, it's killing off the healthy bacteria in their systems, right? And when we do that, it's making room for other stronger new strains of bacteria to form and evolve that are resistant to antibiotics. So why should we care about this? So essentially, um, we are actually already starting to see diseases that not only stay within the farmed animals, but that transfer over into the human population where we can no longer control right, these, these illnesses via antibiotics. So MRSA um, is one of these, if you've heard of it. It already kills about 10,000 Americans a year. And more and more people have to be hospitalized, and we can start to see more of these illnesses break out um, because, you know, because of these antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Okay, so water is very important to talk about in this system. So, so first of all, what are some of the things we're typically told to do to save water? Or what do you hear? Turn the water off when you're brushing your teeth. I always hear that, either first or second, no matter where I go. Yeah, thank you. What else are we told to do? Shorter showers. That's always the, either the first or the second. So it's always those two, right? So a lot of times we're thinking of our domestic water usage. That's what we're told. But we're not told a lot about our food system. So um, there have been various studies, and this is a more conservative study that was done. And it found that if one person just one single time say, um, didn't drink one gallon of milk, say, replaced it for, say, oat milk, right, or just drink water, or didn't eat one beef burger and replaced it, say, for a veggie burger or beans, another source of protein, then they could say the same amount of water is not showering 27 times, just that one instance of foregoing that, that food. And this just gives us a glimpse into how much water is used in, our, in animal products. And this is mostly due to all the water that's needed to grow the, the corn and the soy to feed to these billions of animals, but also for you know, grazing and hay and, and also to, 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 for the animals to drink themselves and the other parts of production and, and all of that as well. Oh, the reason we have the drought here is because um, places like even in our country in California, right, uh, people are worrying about droughts. In other parts of the world, people are really worried about water scarcity, right? So this is why we should care about water, I guess, is what I'm saying. Okay, so all of this is given to the animals. Um, they digest it, specifically the food, and what happens after we digest food? We poop, thank you. Someone said it back there. Okay, so these animals produce a lot of poop, roughly about 100 times more than we produce. And there's very little, if any, infrastructure to deal with all this poop. So we'll see in this next video what is typically done with the poop on a, on a typical factory farm, like is shown. One of America's biggest we can turn it up if we is that farms yeah, practically yeah. don't exist anymore. The animals we eat are grown. Thank you. <laughs> One of America's Set. Biggest secrets is that farms practically don't exist anymore. 
the animals we eat are grown inside giant hidden factories. Since 2012, I've been secretly planning a project to expose these factory farms using the highest tech spy equipment available, drones. This video provides just a sample of what I saw during only a few days of filming. You're looking at a lake of toxic pig feces and urine the size of four football fields. That's because thousands upon thousands of pigs are inside of these buildings. Their waste falls through slats in the concrete floor and it's flushed directly into this giant open air cesspool. How many of these kinds of factories are there? In North Carolina alone, there are over 2,000 and the consequences are disastrous. The waste falls through, through the floors. It's flushed out into an open pit, like a cesspool. It's easy for a big hog operation to have as much waste as a medium-sized city. Of course, the pit will fill up, so it has to be uh, emptied, and they're emptied by spraying the liquid waste. Yes, you heard that right. If you're familiar with a garden sprayer, there are gigantic versions of that, so they're making droplets, fine mists, out of this liquid waste, and that can drift downwind into the neighboring communities. I shut my hog operation down, and I got out of it. And uh, I, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't do another person that way to make them smell that. It is a cesspool that you put feces and urine in, a hole in the ground that you dump a toxic waste in. And I've seen dead hogs in them and stuff like that. People can't open their windows. They can't go outside. I've seen it. I've talked to the people. I've seen the little children that say, Mom and Daddy, why are we got to smell this stuff? You get stories like, I can't hang my clothes out. Feces and urine odor comes by and attaches itself to your clothes. And then people will say, we're scared to invite neighbors. It can, I think, very correctly be called environmental racism or environmental injustice that uh, people of color, low-income people, bear the brunt of these practices. This is where they spray animal waste on us. This is about eight feet from my mother's house. What is it like when the mist is? It's like, you think it's raining? Really? You, th you think it's raining. We don't open the doors or uh, the windows, but the odor still comes in. It takes your breath away. Then you start gagging, you get headaches. There are a number of studies of asthma and asthma symptoms, particularly in children near these facilities. Among adults, there are reports of several types of upper respiratory symptoms. These pollutants are affecting people's blood pressure. Who's responsible for all this? Smithfield Foods, specifically the subdivision Murphy Brown, which controls the factory farms shown in all of the drone footage in this video. Smithfield is by far the largest pork producer in the entire world. And inside these buildings, there is something else entirely. Pigs are really intelligent animals. They are more intelligent than dogs. They are more intelligent than cats. In the average pig barn, there could be hundreds, if not thousands of pigs crammed into this one sprawling indoor space. Their entire life is spent standing on concrete floors. Mother pigs are locked in metal cages so small that they literally cannot even turn around for months at a time. 
this is not a partisan issue. We are all opposed to children being made sick, to animals being abused, and to everyday people's lives being ruined by the stench of cesspools in their backyards. These thousands of lakes of toxic waste must be among the most bizarre and disturbing environmental phenomena that have ever confronted America. And they've been kept well hidden from the public for long enough. still hear me or could you hear what I said in the back I am pretty loud should I repeat myself for the recording yeah. okay I'm sorry you're gonna have to hear what I said again okay so just well, just keep in mind that um, uh, every state has factory farms right Illinois is not exempt so um, even though this was in North Carolina we ha we also have factory farms in the Midwest very common so um, also keep in mind that these these farms are not going to be typically built in cities or even suburbs, right? Where say most of us might go to school or might, might live here. Um, and they're, they're mostly gonna be built in rural communities and communities of color, low income communities. So while all of us are affected by this system, however indirectly or directly, um, the, the people who really bear the biggest burden, like the video said, are these folks. And it's just good to note too that factory farms are disproportionately located in communities of color and low-income communities. And I just want to stop here. Why, why do we see factory farms in these communities more so than in others? Okay, thank you. They don't have the money to fight back, say. So say if it, if it, was, if, if it was brought into a wealthy community, what might happen? Could protest, right? They could protest with their money. They could threaten to sue. If all didn't go well, they could move. Right? They could move their family out of the, the, the situation. But low-income folks might not have that luxury of moving their family out right? or, or finding a different job elsewhere. Okay, so I just think that's important to point out as well. Okay, let's move forward. Okay, so these, these factory farms pollute a lot both into our air and into our water. And they're actually um, exempt from something called the Clean Air Act. Are we familiar with this federal regulation? Okay, so essentially they are technically allowed to pollute what, whatever they want in, into our airs and aren't necessarily regulated like the other um, industries are. These, these, these factory farms are also constantly polluting into our water system, which I mentioned earlier. So manure runoff from these farms is one of the leading causes of pollution in our country, polluting thousands of miles of river and a multitude of states. So what happens is you know, all of this goes into, say, rivers, it flows down, and it makes its way into oceans. Um, and it causes things like eutrophication to happen So in, in, in water systems in general. So the excess phosphate and nitrogen that's coming from the feces, algae thrive off of. So what happens is when you have this concentrated manure, 
Um, you see algae start to build up like on the right-hand side here. And what sunlight is no longer able to come in, right? So it depletes the water of oxygen and actually causes the whole ecosystem underneath to, to collapse. So we have um, these things called dead zones that start to form. So like I said, we had, so this is uh, below the US, right? Here's Louisiana. So we have rivers, right, that go all the way down and they make our way into, into the oceans. And this is where it ends up. So in the red there, we see the lowest amount of oxygen in the water. And essentially, these dead zones are where no or very little fish life or even plant life exists. They cannot flourish here, right? They, there's just no oxygen. So we're killing off um, fish and plant life in this way. And uh, this is one of the largest dead zones, if not the largest, in the world. Okay, so the last um, environmental issue we'll touch on is climate change. And I know I've been talking a lot, but I appreciate your, 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 how great of an audience you've been and, and listening to my voice this entire time. So, okay, climate change. All of this poop also, believe it or not, contributes to this issue. So let's just, for starters, talk about what climate change is. What is climate change, and why should we care? Yeah. Okay, thank you. We see the planet um, quite literally heating up, right? So, uh, the this is causing the climate to go sort of out of whack. And, and one of the things you said is we're seeing um, sea levels rise, right? So people are worried about being flooded in in the very near future. Thank you. What else? What else do we see going on? Yeah, thank you. Ice caps melting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see more ex ex extreme storms like fires or hurricanes or flooding. Thank you. So <laughs> it snowed yesterday, right? For, it was like there was like a foot of snow, at least by me. Um, I, I was just so blown away by this, um, but not really at the same time. Not surprised, but just yeah. So we see these weather these weather patterns that are just really wacky, which is a part of it. Um, also, species are dying off. Are we learning about this in class? There's a lot of books and studies written on this, right? Species are becoming endangered at such an alarming rate and dying off. Um, and specifically, again, communities of color, low-income communities are impacted um, in other parts of the world as well by storms, by floods, right? Having to be displaced, maybe losing everything in, in these disasters. Okay, so how does, this, how does this relate to our food system? So the United Nations had a big study and report out in their Food and Agriculture Organization, and they found that this industry, animal agriculture, causes more greenhouse gas emissions than all of the trains, planes, and cars added up in the world. So these greenhouse gases are contributing to climate change, right? They're the ones that, that are making climate change um, happen because of, because of how many are in our airs and in our oceans. And so what's happening is these animals are directly emitting these greenhouse gases from their own bodies. So ruminant animals like cows, like lambs, sheep, will burp methane, which is a greenhouse gas that's roughly about 20 times more potent for climate change than CO2 carbon dioxide, right? And all of these animals here that we've seen will, when they poop and they fart, they'll release nitrous oxide. And this is another greenhouse gas, but this one's potentially even scarier because it's about 300 times more potent for climate change than CO2 is. So keep in mind, remember all the billions of animals we constantly have, and they're pooping and they're burping and they're farting. So they're contributing to our greenhouse gas emissions in a pretty significant way. 
So this is another study um, showing, sh just highlighting how many greenhouse gases are emitted. So this is the top five meat and dairy companies on the left and their greenhouse gas emissions compared to say ExxonMobil, Shell, BP, right? So they're right up there um, with, these, with these major uh, players with, you know, for climate change. Um, another graph um, showing a, a similar concept but with countries. And there have been studies um, that show that even small change can make a difference in this. So if Americans swapped out red, red, red meat, beef, for beans, right? We didn't eat red beef anymore, we ate beans instead. There's been, uh, this study showed that we could almost immediately realize about 50 to 75% of our greenhouse gas reduction goals that were set foot, foot in, the, in the Paris Climate Agreement. Do we know of the Paris Climate Agreement? The international agreement where our countries came together and, sa and said, what are we gonna do about climate change? So yeah, so, so even, there's even things that me and you can do, right, on an individual level to, to play a part in this. Okay, so um, yeah, I kind of kind of uh, dodged out on that uh, cuteness interlude, sorry, for, for the sake of solutions. So let's talk about solutions. Um, so I know we talked about a lot of negatives, right? And hopefully by now um, I've convinced you that this system is pretty destructive for our planet for these reasons and more. Um, and now let's talk about solutions. Let's get to a positive note before we end the presentation. So first of all, what, one of the things we can do when we turn 18, if we're eligible, right, is vote, right? So we can get involved in politics in other ways as well, even if we can't vote. And this is one of the ways that we can affect larger le legislative change, right? So if we wanna see laws being put in place to regulate these farms or to not um, pollute so much or, you know, et cetera, we can, we can participate in politics, and there are things like the Green New Deal, right, that are being proposed, say, in the House, that could actually um, benefit these, the, these issues like climate change. Yeah? Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you for your comment. Okay, um, so, so um, even, even some, some pretty big activists and agencies are, are looking to a similar, um, pointing to similar solutions. So the renowned uh, climate activist Paul Hawken ha edited a, a, a book, right, best-selling uh, book with all these researchers outlining the top 100 ways that we could reduce our carbon emissions and fight climate change. And surprisingly, but not so surprisingly, once you start to learn about this, food was, was um, there was two in the top five, right? Two of the top five were food related. So three, reduce food waste, and four, talking about a plant-rich diet in order to really cut down on our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, the United Nations advocates for folks to become demetarians or have their meat consumption for the reasons we talked about. Uh, the University of Oxford had a pretty shocking new study out just come out last fall. And they found that in order to keep climate change under two degrees, people like us needed to eat 90% less beef, 90% less pork, 60% less milk, and 50% less eggs uh, while eating more beans and pulses. Right? So ju just to say that there's a lot of research and studies coming out showing that what we really need to do is look to our diets if we're going to tackle this issue. Uh, even the Environmental Working Group found that small change uh, matters. So if everyone in the US ate no meat or cheese just for one single day of the week out of the seven, it would be like taking 7.6 million cars off the road for good. So 
what are the chances you think we're going to convince 7 million people to sell their cars and never drive again and only walk and use public transportation right now? Versus what you you're, do you think, versus maybe it's more practical to ask folks to change their diet one single day of the week, right? A and, and have the same impact as that would have. Yeah. Just the US. Yeah. And so, okay. So when we talk about reducing our meat, dairy, and eggs to really mitigate these issues, we talk about increasing our, our plant-based foods. So what, we, what I mean by plant-based are plants, things that come from plants, right? So veggies, uh, fruits, legumes, things like beans, nuts, seeds, chickpeas, whole grains, soy, lentils, right, et cetera. You get the idea. So you might think, what am I supposed to eat, especially in the society that is so um, heavily dependent on animal, animal foods for, for food? So just keep in mind, there's probably a, let, a lot of foods you're already eating that are plant-based or, or could be made plant-based very simply. So stir fries, right, peanut butter and jelly, really cheap way, right, easy way to, to eat more plant-based usually. Um, tacos, beans, rice, falafel, um, other sorts of, of you know, uh, dishes filled with whole grains and chickpeas, uh, like this, like this, this dish here, and and these these dishes are not only plant-based, right? Um, good for our environment, but also good for our health, right? And there are various studies that also show this as well, which we'll briefly touch on. Um, so there's even processed foods, right? Like and alternatives. So, so for for folks who are who um, you know we're like really we don't want to even one day of the week give up you know the, t the taste of meat you don't necessarily have to so there are burgers nowadays that taste look bleed just like beef burgers um, and and they're called one of them's called the impossible burger another one's called the beyond meat burger there's a, this is a burrito from chipotle just to say that national chain restaurants are starting to offer plant-based protein um, and, you know, and, and have this pretty widespread. So this is the sofritas, the spiced tofu. There's um, international cuisines, right? So if you go to Chinese or Thai or Indian or Ethiopian restaurants, you can very often find plant-based sources of food um, and meals. Even, right, our processed food, like I said, so even the big meat and dairy companies are getting on board. So Ben & Jerry's has about 10 flavors of almond-based milk ice cream. So there's alternatives to dairy milk, right, that we can drink almond milk or even better for our environment, oat milk um, or cashew milk or coconut milk or soy milk. You get the, you get the picture. And there's, there's all these alternatives as well to, say, chicken tenders or beef. Um, you know, there's desserts that taste just like their counterparts. And a lot of these foods are available at pretty mainstream grocery stores. So Jewel, Mariano's, Target, Aldi came out with its own brand of plant-based foods just about a year ago in response to consumer demand. So people like us saying, we want more of these foods. So you don't have to go to you know, fancy places to get these foods and spend a fortune to get them either. Yeah, did you have a question? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. No, thank you for those comments. Okay, so, okay, not to, not to tout right fast food chains, but just to say like, 
for folks who are like, I'm, you know, love, love my Taco Bell or I love whatever it is, even know that there's, even these fast food chains are starting to come out with, with more plant-based foods, believe it or not. So there was an article about Taco Bell having more of these foods. Um, Burger King in the St. Louis area is now carrying the Impossible Burger. It's called the Impossible Whopper, and they're seeing how it does. And then if it's successful, they're going to expand it, right? And it, it, it even fooled, like, meat executives. They didn't know which was which, um, just based on tastes and looks. So, okay. Um, but, you know, after, after, after touting fast food, it's important, right, to eat our fruits and vegetables. And I know growing up, I didn't, I didn't eat a lot of veggies. And I didn't like veggies, to be honest with you. And the more that we eat veggies and the more that we eat fruits, our psychological desires, right, they, they change. And now I love fruits. They are so sweet, right? And before they used to be a chore to eat, and now they're like a treat to eat. Like, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy them. Um, veggies, I'm still trying to eat more and more of. I love my veggies, but, you know, there are, there are fun ways to cook them, to make them delicious. They're delicious in themselves, but even for those folks who aren't used to eating that many veggies, right? Okay, let's see. Um, and very briefly, I feel like I would be, it would be very remiss of me not to mention the health benefits. So some of the leading causes of death in, in, in our country are heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, and all of the, and, and these things are, are linked with diets very high in animal foods, right? So um, specifically, I think I have it, yeah. Um, processed meats like sausages, bacon, salami um, have, have been found to be a, a level one carcinogen, all right? So, so very highly linked with cancer, causing, causing cancer. Red meats, pork, beef, lamb um, are level two carcinogen. Um, there's been studies, right, to say that uh, Folks with, 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 with diets more rich in plant-based foods will benefit um, from less of a risk of getting, say, heart disease, diabetes. Even plant-based diets in various studies have been found to reverse diabetes, even when people have it, type 2 diabetes, um, better than the American Diabetes Association diet. Less likely to die of cancer, right, if you eat more of, of, of these foods. Um, and I also want to note um, something about dairy very quickly. So there's nothing inherently natural about drinking dairy um, in, in terms of, of, of us needing it or, 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 or yeah, looking to the past. So are folks here, um, are, is anyone like lactose intolerant or you know people who are lactose intolerant or heard of lactose intolerance? Okay, thank you. So, so you, you might when you drink dairy or you might know folks who either can't digest it or when they digest it, they feel icky. And this actually makes a lot of sense when you stop to think about it because, right, the reason you told me that mother cows produce milk is for their young, right? So that, that milk is supposed to make this baby calf into a big cow, right? But we are physiologically and biologically speaking different from a, from a calf. So we have different needs, right, in different ways that our, that our body responds. So um, for places in the world that didn't traditionally consume dairy, like we see in the graph here in the, in the darker, the darker uh, shades of blue, a lot of folks um, are intolerant to dairy. And it, and it makes a lot of sense because it's coming from another species. So humans are the only species that continually drink milk from another species. Normally, you just drink from your mother, right? Same species. And we're also the only species that drink milk after we're no longer babies. So um, there's this organization, Food Empowerment Project, and they actually advocate for us to use the term lactose normal instead of lactose intolerant, because they, they state that it's actually really normal for folks not to be able to digest dairy. 
Okay. Um, also, it would be remiss of me not to, to speak about food access, right? Especially since we're so close to places like Chicago, where a lot of folks, um, more so in south and west sides of the city, live in food deserts. Are we familiar with food deserts? Food access issues? Okay, food deserts, places where um, there might not be a grocery store right nearby. Uh, maybe folks have to travel miles just to get to their grocery store, right, or, or can't get there um, via public transportation. So obviously, if people don't have access to, to fruits and veggies and grocery stores, then the maybe some of the only options or the most convenient options are fast food chains, right, or other chains that are predominantly uh, pretty animal-based heavy. So um, it's just good to note here um, that, that this is part of the issue and that we need to keep working to make sure folks have access to healthy fruits and vegetables and these foods, not only for our environmental concerns that we talked about, right, and not only, say, for the animals, but for our own health, for, for everybody's own health and well-being. Um, this, um, this slide also goes over something called the, the Farm Bill. So has anyone heard of the Farm Bill before? Okay. So this is a, a big comprehensive bill that the, uh, the our government passes, and they've just passed a new one, actually. And essentially, it has all of these um, sort of like policies and rules and practices of how we um, dish out money to certain programs and how those programs run. So it's just good to note that the government subsidizes meat, dairy, and not fruits and vegetables as much. Do you know what I mean by subsidizing meat and dairy? Like they, they quite literally give billions of dollars to support these industries and therefore helping to make some of the prices cheaper. And, and if you can see, um, this was the old farm bill because uh, the new farm bill did, doesn't have uh, this type of graph out quite yet. But meat and dairy subsidies are about 63%. And then um, in the green here, fruits and vegetables are just a tiny um, amount. So if we were to structurally be able to make Right, to, to give more money to fruits and vegetables and make it more accessible and more affordable for folks, then, um, uh, say, via our government, then people could, could more easily access right, um, the, these foods. And it would be better not only for our health, but for the environmental concerns. OK, for, this, for the sake of time, I'm just going to um, keep on moving fast. Past, so, so keep in mind that this is a growing market. Slowly but surely, we're seeing more folks eat more of these foods, whether it's for the environment, or for the animals, say for ethical reasons, or for uh, their own health, their own bodies. And it doesn't necessarily have to be expensive, right, with us talking and acknowledging food access and food deserts. So if we do have access to grocery stores, we can actually save money by eating more plant-based foods. If you eat out at restaurants, it can definitely be more expensive. But if you go to the grocery store, tofu is pretty cheap. You can spice it up, cook it, just like you would with meat. Right? And, and make it really tasty. Beans, rice are a super cheap way to get protein, iron, right? all of these um, healthy nutrients. Um, and this is also a, a really great site for um, folks like me and other folks um, on a lower budget, plant-based on a budget as well. So there's even really cool um, high-tech solutions being touted. So has anyone heard of clean meat before? Okay, so essentially this is, okay, bear with me, it's going to sound weird. This is, meat, this is meat grown in a lab. Essentially what you're doing is taking stem cells from the animals themselves without harming them, taking a small sample, and you're cultivating those stem cells and replicating them in a lab. Sounds super weird, but when you look at the alternative, we didn't go into too many of the an animal welfare aspects, but if you look into the alternative and all the hormones and antibiotics and everything, 
it's a lot less weird probably than eating right, these factory farmed animals. And keep in mind that structurally it's identical to the meat that we're eating because it's coming from the animal's very own cells and replicating those cells, right? So it's not um, sort of artificial in, 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 uh, in you know, that sort of sense because it's coming from their own cells. So we see, um, um, yeah, I'll take questions in just a second. Um, so we'll, thank you. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, you know, Memphis Meats and Good Food Institute um, making, say, meatballs and other um, forms of, of this meat. And right, look at, look at the environmental benefits using 99% land, 96% uh, fewer uh, greenhouse gas emissions, way less water. Um, and of course, you don't have to, you know, kill an animal or, or, or have the same um, sorts of, you know, uh, consumer public health worries. Okay, so I know I, I know I talked about a lot. Um, I know I talked a lot about uh, focusing on the solution of diets. And just note that if this is overwhelming, right, if this isn't um, palatable, say literally or metaphorically, um, even small change makes a difference. So um, one day a week some people are doing, right, they're doing meatless Mondays, it's a movement that's growing, or green Monday, or five days a week if you're feeling inspired, right, and, and like you're, you're motivated to, to, to make a change. Um, even impact-based, right, say cutting out dairy and drinking other sorts of milks or just you know cutting out dairy and, and getting your nutrients other ways instead. Um, so there are tons of ways to play around with our diet and, and see what works for us and what works best for us. And so Green Monday is one initiative um, in the US and this is just their site here. So um, you can actually pledge to, gr to grow Green Monday, which you'll be able to do in a second here. So there are businesses and NGOs that are pl um, pl have pledged to go Green Monday, colleges and universities. Um, I, I went to Loyola College and, and um, they signed up there. Uh, government agencies, schools. This is Mather High School in the city. I went there recently as well. Uh, places of worship, family and individuals. Folks are, are essentially agreeing to not eat meat, dairy, or eggs on Mondays as a start, right, as a, as a step forward. Um, and this is, um, this is just 11 people, right, uh, pledging to go green Monday, and this is the impact they could have in one year. So how many gallons of water they can save just for one day out of the week for a year? How many animals, right, how, saved? How many forests, uh, square feet of forest saved? You, you get the idea here. Okay, and the last thing I'll say is that I know meat, dairy, and eggs are a huge part of all of our lives. I mean, probably most of our lives. Um, I grew up all my life eating these foods, never thought twice about them, um, never knew I had to until I went to college and started learning more, and now um, obviously I, I know a lot more than I used to. And so just to say that there are very good reasons, right, to just have an open mind to be able to keep learning about this, do your own research. Um, you, you notice that I was um, using a lot of studies and such, and if you wanted to start your own research, here's our website and we have all our citations listed on our website, which I encourage you to do. Right? You don't have to just take my word for it, I'm some random person, but look at the, look at the info, look at, look at the science, and, and I think you'll also um, start, start to, to maybe have you know, an own, your own journey in, in, into learning more about this as well. Okay, so thank you so much for your time. I know I talked at you a lot. I really appreciate it. Um, you've been a wonderful audience, and note that um, you know, whatever change you're inspired to make, um, it can make a difference. And uh, we all have the power, right, at, to some degree, some more so than others, to do something about all these issues we discussed today. So if you can, um, take out your phones at this time and put in um, this link into your browser. It's a really short survey. Um, it should take you about a minute or two minutes. 
and give me feedback. Let me know what you thought of the presentation, what was most impactful. Um, let me know any comments you have, uh, thoughts that you have, and then we'll take questions. It's hard to, right? When you learn more, it's hard to. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And if yeah, if you're able to take the survey, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Are folks able to access it? Are you having trouble? Okay. Wonderful. I can also help with accessing it if we need help. Any folks are having trouble? You get, okay, sometimes, um, let me read it to you, because sometimes it like, the spelling might be, it sometimes like wants to put two O's in Chicago. Let's see, yeah, maybe if you click on it, let's see. Yeah, I don't know why it does that. Um, see how there's two O's in Chicago? Mm -hmm. um, so, forward slash Chicago, mm -hmm. F-F-A-C, F-F-A-C. Okay, perfect, that should get you there, let's see. Okay, great, thank you. Oh, I should turn this off. Sorry, my microphone's on, I'm not used to having a microphone. Well, first of all, I just wanted to thank Stephanie so much for coming here. I think it was very insightful and educational for all of us. Does anyone have questions? You get the microphone, so. So when you say that the meat is grown from animal cells, does that mean that it's like clone meat? Like a clone from a different creature and you take a part of it and you grow something back from that part? Yes. I'm not used to having microphones, <laughs> and I have very loud voice, so I usually just project. Apologize about that. 
How expensive is the cold meat? I mean, the. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great question. So that was one thing I forgot to mention in the presentation. So it's viable. They've made meatballs and other sorts of, of foods. But right now, they're, they're working to get the price down because it's not available. It's not on the market yet. Right. It would be if it was on the market, it would be a very high price. And so they're trying to work to, to see if they can actually get it on the market and get it at a low price. Um, and they're estimating maybe five years or so. Um, it could be longer. And quite frankly, we, we don't really have time to wait um, to make change for all of this. But so it could be something cool to look out for in the future. Or if you're interested, uh, the Good Food Institute. Um, is, is working on it and they'll, they answer like all your questions. It's like they have a, a form that you could submit if you have any questions for them. They're really cool about the process. Memphis Meats is also working on it, so it's cool to keep up with and see where it goes. Um, and, hope, and, and maybe it will be on the market. Um, but in the meantime, right, there's, there's, there's steps that we, can, that we can take. Yeah, thank you both for your question. Yeah. Um, has the meat industry been at all, or like milk or dairy or anything been at all hurting lately? Because I know we talk about like, you know, if one person just cuts back, it saves this money, whatever. But like, what is the actual like probability that it's gonna make any effect on their money making just to have like, you know, some people stop doing it? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are seeing the rise of plant-based foods. So that market right now is just skyrocketing in growth. And I didn't mention this either, but um, even meat companies like Tyson, do we know of Tyson? Second largest meat producer in the world, invested $150 million into a, into a fund, a capital fund, and for plant-based foods. Um, because they saw that the trend was sort, sort of starting to go that way and there's money to be had in the industry, right? And the former CEO of Tyson even said this could be part of the, the future of protein, right? Or the future of protein, I forget what he said exactly. Um, so even the meat and dairy companies are starting to um, use more, yeah, start to like uh, even market um, some of these products like uh, white, uh, I believe it's White Wave, um, the almond milk, um, they, uh, the corporation that owns them, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but they started to market um, more of, of almond milk and plant, other plant-based milks. Um, and so you s might see some of those commercials nowadays. I, I noticed the other day or in the past couple of weeks that I've been seeing actually a lot of real milk commercials again, which I was thinking to myself like, wow, are, like they're really trying to get people to start drinking real milk again because people are not drinking milk as much. I've seen those all over the place now, like give your kids real milk because it helps with their bones and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, so th that's great to bring up. And there's a few important things to suss out there, right? So it that is, I think, a, from what I've seen, a response to um, people are not consuming dairy as much and, they're, dr and they're, they're drinking alternatives, right? Or getting nutrients in different ways. And so certain dairy in industries are hurting, um, which isn't to say that, right, like we should, we should still um, support farmers and support um, folks and jobs and, and whether that's transferring jobs or maybe like helping them to write, um, uh, I don't know, make their way of living in, in, in um, new ways if they're willing, right? Um, so we should definitely be um, still su supporting those folks um, in transitions, right? And, and in um, ways that, might, that is, are going to be better for our planet. But um, yeah, so that's been a response. Um, I think it's important to just like think about this concept of real milk, right? So um, 
just that term real, right? So like, I think it's important to just like, uh, analyze that term like what do we mean by real right and why like we shouldn't just take real and say real is better and not examine like what we actually mean by real so um, I guess what I'm trying to say also is that um, I think oftentimes like we're used to doing what we what everyone else is doing what we think is normal or natural um, even if it's not necessarily like the case so like there's not necessarily anything natural about us drinking cow milk. Like that's another species, you know? But um, we still like have this concept of like, yeah, this is, this is somehow more authentic um, than, yeah, or, or something. But also I think it's important to point out the health aspect as well. So there's, have you heard of the China study? Um, there was this uh, study, big study called the China study where they actually for our bones thank you thank you we're told to drink milk for our bones and to have healthy bones but if you look at the research it's not yeah that's not that doesn't hold up right and that it could even be harmful in ways or has been linked to certain cancers and diseases so I know you're not necessarily touting you know like certain beliefs but I just think it's important to um, to note that so thank you for your question it was really important one um, I wanted to ask um, how indigenous communities sort of fit into this sort of topic, not in terms of like being nearby um, factory farming, though I know that happens, but as far as their diets tending to be like like meat-based and like um, just eat them eating at them, them, like their diets tend not to be vegan or vegetarian. Who, sorry? Indigenous communities. Oh, indigenous communities. There are indigenous communities also, and I appreciate that question because I very much um, want to talk about social justice more broadly. But I think it's important also to note that there are indigenous communities that have been traditionally plant-based as well. Um, so that's not necessarily um, the, the case that, um, that they're only right um, animal like typically animal based. Um, I also think it's important to to recognize that like traditionally speaking, indigenous communities ate very differently than what the system looks like, <laughs> um, completely differently. Um, and so um, uh, you know, there's there's a lot more problems. Just I don't know. I'm trying to find a better way to say that. But with um, the system that we're using now, I would say versus um, folks eating like just what's locally available to them, and and that makes a lot of sense, right? Especially throughout history. So um, yeah, so definitely, um, I think that we need to be talking about all our communities and and different indigenous communities and also whether it's religious communities or um, ethnicities, right? Um, all have different sorts of eating habits and patterns and, and, and um, things that, that are part of our cultures and we need to address that. We can't ignore that and we need to look at that and, and um, work together and um, talk about viable solutions and, and hear each other out. So um, I don't know if that really answers your question, but yeah, it's not like, because it's really important to talk about all communities and make sure that we are listening to all voices and not just imposing like this is what you're going to eat now but actually having conversations any other questions 
it's very like misleading like in just living in our society i feel like i don't know <laughs> i mean like you go to the like grocery store just with this topic i mean the, you know you, we could talk about this in numerous topics so you go to the grocery store you go to a restaurant every, like there's so much food there everything seems happy and great um you know like you you don't we don't see all of what comes before it right like we're so distant from our food system most of us i'm just assuming maybe you know maybe one of y'all um has a farm or works on a farm right but i don't and so um like i've been very distant from my food all my life and i think most of us are right we don't see the animals that we're eating we don't raise the animals that we're eating we don't see the water that goes into the growing the crops to feed those animals right and so all the system is so compartmentalized and we're so distant from it that i think it's easy for us not to know about these issues and then also to just like way right Let's just go to the restaurant and we don't have to think about it. So, I don't know, just a part of my experience I thought may, might be useful or might be able to connect to. Yeah. Uh, you said that like we don't have a lot of time to like make change and stuff for like uh, climate change. So, realistically, even if like everybody in this room and everybody in Marine Valley stopped eating meat right now, we wouldn't be able to make like a real change within the meat industry. Wouldn't it be more helpful for the environment for us to like try to pass legislature and things like that to stop meat companies from abusing the planet? I think both are important and needed, and that's a great question. I think both are very essential. And so we, yeah, our presentation heavily focuses on like what me and you can do, um, especially because it, sometimes people can feel very distant from politics and from like, like they, they might feel like I'm only one person, like what can I possibly do? Um, and we, we're trying to empower folks to say like, even in your daily life, like there are small, whether they're small or big, right? Um, and however accessible they are to you, there are things that we can do, like me and you. And so we try to empower individuals like that and also to um, change some perspectives just by giving information to folks. Like we might have certain um, concepts or perspectives um, or things that come to mind, right? Uh, that when we think meat or when we think of the food we eat or when we think vegan or vegetarian, right? There's like stigmas and such. So we're, we're trying to educate folks um, and maybe open their minds a bit so that also legislative change can happen. Because if people don't know that these issues exist, nobody's gonna vote for legislative change, right? They're gonna be like, uh, they're not gonna know why they should. Um, so in places like California, for instance, they just um, passed a law, um, uh, uh, it was like one of the most comprehensive, um, it, it had to do with animal welfare, not allowing like the gestation crates um, or getting rid of the battery cages. Um, and, and so there have been laws like that passed, but because the public is becoming more aware, right? Because the public knows that how these animals are kept or knows um, how much these farms are polluting into our rivers, right? So I definitely think legislative change is so important and essential, but we're all a part of this system Right, and we all make it up, um, even as like one person, like all of us. So I think there's a part to play for us as individuals, and then also for us to contribute to larger structural change that that we need to see happen in order to really try to tackle these issues in a timely manner. Does that answer your question? Okay, thank you. It's important. Um, I was just wondering, how long do you think it'll take for there to actually be like? Um, legislation passed because so many politicians are in the pocket of those big corporations like same thing with like you know the NRA type stuff like they have stakes in people's campaigns and people's you know stuff like that and so do these big food industries they basically you know they say like you don't pass this will 
you know, will contribute this much to your next campaign? Like, how do you possibly override something like so strong like money? I think that is important to discuss. Um, our politics is very inter intertwined with big money, and that's just that's something we need to be aware about. Um, and so, you're right that um, if, if if certain corporations contribute to campaigns, right? Um, there's 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 moral questions, right? Ethical questions about how um, likely that politician is to then vote for legislation that maybe you know um, works for or against those people that contributed to their campaign or, or lobbyists right we're familiar with lobbying the government right lobbyists are will go and say like you know advocate for certain legislation to, to be passed or not to be passed right um, and so yeah so the way our politics is running now money is a big part of it um, and we see that um, this undoubtedly affects the laws that we that we see being passed or not being passed. And sorry, so what was the question overall like you said? Like, I guess my question would be, how long do you think it'll take for people to actually start paying attention and being like, that's unacceptable, you need to not be taking money from that type of group? I think we're starting to see some of that talk already. Like some of the candidates now, like say who are running for even presidency, right, um, are starting to talk about um, like, campaign finance reform or about um, yeah just how tied a money is to politics and essentially um, talking about like what's what's best for all of us right for the common person and not so much say for like a, to make profit um, for any industry so I think we're starting to see talk from even prominent politicians in the US about that of course there's there's a lot that we're, that we're going up against, right, or, or that folks who are, are trying to make change are going up against. Um, and that's why the more people that know about these issues and that care about them and that start to learn about them and think about them and then get on board, um, the more people power we have, then the more, i say, influence we can have um, to make larger change. So I don't, I don't know, I don't have like a timeline. I wish it was like in five years, you know, <laughs> like I don't know. Um, but I think there are some good signs that we already see that change is happening. And folks like me and you, right, are, are starting to become empowered um, or, or people are starting to care about politics more so than maybe they did in the past and not see it as just like this abstract thing that doesn't relate to them, right, but that it, it's a very much a part of, of our everyday lives and affects like how we live or what we can do or our access to certain things. Um, and so I, I think there's some, there's some hope, but with that being said, like we all, like myself included, have to do better, right? Have to keep um, challenging ourselves and to, to play our part and, and do what we can to be a part of that solution. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate your comments. Um, also, for folks who are taking off, I have some leaflets if you want to take home with you. Um, there's one on climate change, one for athletes, one on um, a lo lo lower budget, um, plant-based foods. Um, stick around for questions still, but I just want to let you know I have resources as well if you'd like to take home with you. Thank you again. Thank you very <laughs> much. Thank you so much. Y'all have been so great.